Good morning, Radiant Lifers. Yes, you guys are awake. You've had several cups of coffee. That's amazing. I've only had one today, and I'm fired up. Are you guys fired up? Yeah, like, it was amazing to go off-site. A few months ago, we went off-site, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Josh, myself, and we were just, like, mapping out uh, this year of teaching, and we are just using the book of Acts as, like, this spine that we're we're, we're going to travel down, and then we'll have like these off-ramps uh, along the way. But man, we were getting excited. Like you, you just, you get into the book of Acts, and you just get fired up because you see what God was doing. And, and the same God that was then is the same God who is now. Can I get an amen on that? And so Pastor Ryan, he kicked off our teaching series uh, last week. So if you missed that, please uh, head back to the website. He did a a great job of of setting us up uh, for this journey that we're going to be on. And and part of that, um, he gave us like this key verse. And in this verse, um, everything hinges on this. The the whole rest of the book of Acts that we're going to journey through is all hinged on one verse. And the key verse was Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, I see some of you have them, uh, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to park right there. But I just, I just want us to keep that frame of mind that this, this verse 8 is the key verse for the whole rest of the church. Like we always have to have that in the back of our mind or throw that in our back pocket and remember that as we move forward going through the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus said, hey, look, I'm, go- I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to need that to be able to move forward with the church. And so we're, we're going to pick up right in the very next verse, uh, verse chapter 9. But I just wanted to refresh our minds that everything that happens moving forward is because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So all we're going to bite off today is verses 9 through 14. That's all the farther we're going to get. We, we said, like, awaken. If I had to guess, it's going to be at least a couple of years that we're going to be in this teaching series. Now, I, I get it, like, oh, boy, that's a really long time. That's going to be super boring. It will not be boring. I don't know that we've ever had a boring message on this stage. Uh, God has brought some passionate people here, and I hope that you see some passion here today. But we're going to bite off these verses here, and the, the title for today's message is The Power of United Prayer. And my prayer this week for all of us is that somehow, some way, uh, we would catch this. You know, I think some things are better caught than taught. And, and a lot of my life and my growing and my own relationship with God has been uh, caught. I, I, I didn't always uh, learn everything from teaching. Some of it was just observing other people, observing what God's word had, observing the acts of the apostles in the early church. And so some of those things were caught. And what I'm hoping here today is this idea of the power of united prayer, that we'd all catch it. And that we'd just be like these little flames of fire, and we go out into our community, and a revival just spreads out. But we got to save that for the end of the message. All right, here we go. Verse, uh, verse 9 here. Verse 9. Make sure I got my clicker on here. Verse 9. There we go. All right, verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things, so he said, hey, uh, go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, 
uh, and you're, you're going to have, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Had said these things as they, the disciples, were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, read these two words with me, will come. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Did you know that Jesus is coming back? That's an amen for sure. Like, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore all things the way that God intended it. Like, come on. Like, we should get fired up about that. I think Pastor Ryan would go, woo! Right? Like, Jesus is coming back and we need to live in this anticipation that Jesus is coming back. All right, let's get back into Luke's narrative here. He says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So remember, if you have your Bibles, go back to verse 4. Jesus says, go and wait. And so that's what they're doing is they're returning back to Jerusalem and they're waiting. Now Luke gives us another detail here. He says, a Sabbath day journey. Now, this, all, this goes all the way back to Genesis, and God created all things on the seventh day. He rested, but then you fast forward the narrative a little bit, and, and the, the Hebrew the people and the Jewish people were in slavery for 400 years under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God uh, liberated them, but they had 400 years of slavery in them, which meant like working seven days a week, 24-7, and so they had, God had to get this out of them, and he said, hey, you need to live back into the Sabbath. You need to take one day out and you need to rest. Now, Jewish tradition has expounded and added on to the Sabbath rest. And so when they say a Sabbath day journey, it even got to the point where it was legalistic on how far you could travel because it was considered work above and beyond that. And so to give context here, the Sabbath day journey, it's somewhere between a half a mile and three quarters of a mile. In all reality, it's a 15-minute walk. So in Jewish tradition, they would say anything above and beyond that is considered work, and you're not honoring the Sabbath. And so Luke just gives us that, that little nugget and that little detail here in the narrative. Let's keep uh, moving along here. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. All right, let's pause for a second. So the upper room, we just got done uh, with Christmas through their eyes and we nerded out on context and Pastor Ryan during our Christmas message talked about the Cataluma, which is the guest room in a house. Now just to be clear, there's a little bit of debate. Is this the same upper room that Jesus had the Last Supper? However, this is not, in the Greek, is not kataluma. Luke uses a different word than what he used in his gospel. So there's a little bit of debate if that's the same upper room. But he gives us a ton of more detail here that we need to work through. Uh, so to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James. Now I bold and italicize them. If you were to go back to Luke's narrative where he names out the 12 disciples, they're in a different order. He, he's moved uh, James and John towards the top of the list. And so they, it's because they have a tremendous amount of influence on the early church. But Luke gives us even more detail with the rest of the names. And he said, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. Matthew was the tax collector. 
Tax collectors were hated and despised, social outcasts, because they worked for Rome. Rome overtaxed you, and they used their own people to tax you. And so Rome would overtax you, you're already broke, but then Matthew charges you more taxes on top of that, and he's pocketing it, and he's getting rich off of you. And so tax collectors were despised. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot now swing the pendulum all the way the other way. There's these extremist, patriotic people who were fighting for the Jewish people to the extreme where they would assassinate people. If you were against the Jewish people, they would kill you. So you have to understand the diversity that is happening here, especially with Matthew and Simon the Zealot. We have to try to understand a little bit of that cultural context, that there's, there's a wide range of people who are the closest to Jesus. And then we read these words, and all these with one accord. Now that's the Honda joke, just to be clear. I'm glad Dave wasn't in the drum cage there. So all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This, this one accord, so depending on what your English translation is, it might, it might say something different. Because the English is having a really difficult time trying to understand what this word is in the original language, which is Greek. Now, I just grabbed a snapshot of several different English translations just to show you how they're wrestling with this concept of one accord. They, were all, they all were continually united in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. All these were busily engaged with one mind in prayer. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They all came together regularly to pray. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion. They agreed they were in this for good, completely together in prayer. They gathered frequently to pray as a group. So all of these different English translations, they're having a hard time wrestling with that, which is great for us because that should be a, 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 not a red flag, but a signal for us to like, oh, I, we, maybe we should hone in here a little bit. Now, by no means am I like a Greek scholar or anything like that, but I have a, a couple of resources that helps me dive into that. So the, the original word here is homothymadian. That's a mouthful, and if you're a Greek scholar, I probably butchered that. I listened to it like 15 times to try to get it to that point. We're moving on. What it means is of one mind unanimously together. Like they're, they're trying to hone this in. It says the unanimity is not based on a personal feelings, but on a cause greater than the individual. This word denotes the inner unity of a group of people engaged in externally similar action. So we have a little bit of context that there's a diverse group of people, but they're united in prayer. So despite all of their backgrounds, how they came to that place, how they came to know Jesus, they came together and they're united in prayer. It's not much different than us here, right? Like, 
We all come into this space with different stories, different backgrounds. So, some of us make more money than others. Some of us dress differently. Some of us just physically look different than other people in this room. We have a lot of diversity. We have different backgrounds. And it was the same thing with the, the early church. Now, Luke gives us even more details into the story here. Because he has a bunch of with and ands. So not only do we have the diversity of the disciples, he throws in this detail that there's women. In first century world, women were just above farm equipment. They didn't have value. They didn't have a say-so. They didn't have a voice. And I'm thankful that we live in a society and a culture today that we have women in leadership. Because women are way smarter than what I am. Ask my wife. <laughs> She's way smarter. And I value her input and her insight into life. And I love the fact that Luke threw this detail in there, that there were also women with this group of people. But he gives us another, and Mary. So Mary's part of this group of women. You know what I love about this? Not only did Mary help birth our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, but she was also part of the birth of the church. And she was united with these people in praying because she understood the importance of the church. And I'm thankful because this is the last time that Mary's mentioned in the scriptures. But Luke threw that detail in there. So I'm thankful that he mentions women and that he, he mentions Mary, but he also gives this one last detail and the brothers. Now, uh, Mary was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and had Jesus, but she was married to Joseph. Her and Joseph had other children, and these other children, Jesus' half-siblings, not all of them liked Jesus. We get a snapshot of this in John chapter 7. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Just hold on to this detail. Jesus didn't want to go there because people are trying to kill him. Okay, the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. He didn't want to go there because people are trying to kill him. A little bit of tension in Jesus' house. Now, I don't know if you guys, like, there's no tension in your houses, right? Like, I think it just makes Jesus that much more human and for us to relate to him. Uh, John continues. He says, for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And yet Luke throws this detail that the brothers were there. And they were united in prayer. Catch this. Even Jesus' own family didn't believe in him being the Messiah. But now they're here and we find them in the scripture of Acts. Why is that? Because they are united in the life, death, and resurrection and the return of Jesus. That was the game changer. 
ah, whatever, you, you know, you did these miracles, whatever. It's hard to argue the fact that if a human being dies and three days later comes back from the grave and then plays peekaboo with a whole bunch of different people, it's hard to argue that. It really is. And I think that might have been the turning point for his family. So there's so much diversity that's in this group, but they were united in the life, death, resurrection, and they believed in Jesus' return. But man, we just live in a culture today where there's so much diversity. You know, social media, the intent was to bring us together, but if anything, it's isolated us even more. Now, don't, I'm not hating on all social media. I think some of it's just plain dumb and a waste of time. But I, get, I do get to connect with people around the world or family members that I don't get to see, and I'm thankful for that. But most of the time, it's just us spewing off our opinions and all of this and that, and we're just in an echo chamber because we disagree with the people who speak differently than us or vote differently than us or have a different income than us or have a different worldview. And so we have all this diversity, and I think we can see it here today. And, it, and, and please hear me on this. Like, unity is not uniformity. I think it's a beautiful thing when the church comes together with diversity. Here's a quote from uh, Joseph S. Excel. He says, this oneness has often appeared where personal elements have been of very diverse kinds, but such unity in diversity, unity and diversity is one of the beautiful effects of Christianity. It really is beautiful. I wish I had another word to describe that. It's wonderful that we can come here together with all sorts of different uh, backgrounds, but we can be united under the name of Jesus. It's beautiful. One of my favorite commentaries, uh, Max Anders uh, comments on this. He says, perhaps the important thing here is not the content of their prayers, but the fact and nature of their praying. A crucial moment filled with expectation and wonder was also a moment of prayer. So think about this. Luke didn't give us details of what their prayer was. He just says they were united, one accord. They were together. They were gripped with one passion. They were together and praying, but he doesn't tell us what they're praying about. I don't think that's the point of it. I think the point is they were doing it. But can we just pray and wonder like, can we get together and not pray for things or ask God for things? Can we just get in groups at times and just like, man, God, I don't know how you did that, but it is absolutely incredible what you did. I am in just awe of who you are. And, and I just want to plant this thought grenade with you. Uh, is, can we just pray and be in wonder and not go with a laundry list of things to do or ask of? Now hear me. We can go to our good father and ask him for things. But if we're only praying before a mealtime and if we're only praying to ask, give me, give me, give me, I think we need to check our heart in that. And I wonder if we can just pray and wonder. <laughs> if we can just be in awe of who God is. Now Jesus, he understood more than anybody 
this idea of unity and trying to bring humanity together, this diverse group of humans together, but still be in unity. Now, I've shared this scripture a lot from stage, but did you know that Jesus prayed for you? We, we have his words where he prayed for you, and he prayed for me, and it's found in John 17. It's wonderful. He says, I pray not only for these. He was just praying for the disciples. He's not just praying for the disciples, but I'm also for those who believe in me through their word. That's what we have today is their eyewitness accounts and their testimony. That is what we read in the scriptures now. And we believe in Jesus and the resurrection and his return because of these eyewitness accounts. Can other people believe because of because of our eyewitness accounts of how God's been in our life. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. We don't get together just because it's a cool spiritual thing to do. We get together so the world can know. It's not for us It's for all the people outside these doors. Jesus continued. He says, I've given them the glory you've given me so that they may be made completely one, completely one. I'm in them and you are in me so that they be, so they may be made completely one that the world may know you have set me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for us to have unity. And we've been able to try to model this on our first Wednesdays. And some of you were there and you felt really uncomfortable because there's been times where we get in groups and we begin to pray together and your hands got sweaty and it just, you felt uncomfortable. I get it. I never asked anybody to hold their hands. They just did it. I'm just saying. But it's beautiful. It was beautiful to look out here and there's all these circles everywhere. There's even students that were down on the ground and they were together and they were praying in unison. Another quote from Max Anders. He says, the foundation of unity in ministry can only be found in believers praying together. We have to pray together. And I get it. Some of you, like you're uncomfortable praying out loud or you're uncomfortable praying in front of other people. Man, they've got way better words than what I have. We're not praying to the other people in the circle. We have to to get over that lie and that fear. We're not praying to the other people standing with us. We're praying to our Father in heaven. And, And I get it. Like there's times where I just don't feel like praying. We have to be careful about being in that position. If we don't feel like praying, that's all the more reason why we should pray. One of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon is about prayer. And he says, we should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we're not in a proper mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. We should always be ready to pray and to pray with one another. Another commentary here on this chunk of uh, Acts that we're going through is the time before Pentecost was a time for waiting, a time spent in prayer undoubtedly for the promised spirit 
and for the power to witness. There is no effective witness without the Spirit. And the way to spiritual empowerment is to wait in prayer. You know, as I was preparing for this message this week, it dawned on me. Jesus went up in the cloud. You know, and before he did that, before he went into heaven, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. So Jesus went back into heaven, but the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, hasn't happened yet. There's this period of time that the disciples are waiting. Jesus isn't there, and the Holy Spirit's not there. It's hard for me to comprehend this and understand this. We have the Holy Spirit today. We have the presence of God here today and now. And so what did they do? They prayed and they waited. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever had to pray and wait for something? Wait for God to respond? It's awful. Like, I hate waiting. I mean, you guys are way more spiritual than I am. Like, you probably don't get upset when they ask you to pull forward at the drive-thru because they're still cooking the fries. I know, you're way more spiritual than I am. Like, oh man, that agitates me. I went to the fast food for a reason. I want it now. But as a foodie, I, I appreciate that good food takes a long time. Out of curiosity, how many people love barbecue? Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting ready to preach now. <laughs> you understand that a brisket needs to cook for 12 hours. It's so tender, it just melts in your mouth. You don't even need a knife to cut it. Oh, whoo. <laughs> like you understand that waiting can be a good thing, but we live in a culture where we don't want to wait. And the disciples waited and they were one accord, they were unified, and they were praying. So really quick, I want to give you five things to pray while you're waiting. I'm going to go really quick through these. Five things to pray while you're waiting. Pray for a personal healing. It's hard to move forward on kingdom mission if we're lugging around our yesterdays. It's hard to move to more if we're lugging around our yesterdays. So pray for personal healing. And I know some of you have prayed that prayer. You've asked God for healing in your life. At least in my own journey, and I don't want to project this on anyone else, at least in my own journey, what I've realized, the old cliche, it's like an onion. There's multiple layers to it. And so I want to encourage you to continue to pray and say, God, I, I want to be whole in you. I want to be healed of whatever. You fill in the blank. So pray for personal healing. Pray for healing of relationships. Broken relationships can just be this massive roadblock. And maybe you need to pray for the personal healing first before you have the healing of relationships. And let me be 100% clear. This is not an excuse to be a doormat in abusive relationship. But is there a way to heal from a relationship? Third, pray for a personal awakening. You come to the church, you hear the messages, you, you hear the church talking about next steps all the time, and, and there's more. Pray bold and say, God, if I'm asleep at all in my faith journey, would you gently nudge me and wake me up? Is there more of you that I can experience in my own life? Pray for a personal awakening. 
And when you pray for that prayer, ask for God to pour the gas on it. Say, God, I want to be passionate for you. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. You can be passionate about Jesus. This is my journey, friends. I was a broken down dude with all kinds of hurts and hang-ups. And God stepped into my life and he showed me. He showed me how much he loved me. And I went through this journey of personal healing and broken relationships. And as I spent time in his word and caught other people who were passionate about Jesus, I began to pray this prayer. God awakened something in me. God's pouring some gas on my passion right now. But we don't do it for us, friends. We do it for revival because our community is dead and it's broken and it needs to be revived through the power of Jesus. He's the only one who can come in and heal and restore. And he does that by sending his Holy Spirit. That's the only reason why I'm standing on this stage right now in this moment. So these are five things to pray for. We've been praying for revival in our community, but it's got to start here. It's hard for us to move forward if we're lugging around our yesterdays. Find that personal healing. Restore those relationships that Holy Spirit's already speaking to you right now. That face already. You already know who it is. Pray for God to awaken something in you. And pray for his Holy Spirit to just burn with passion within you. And then may we go and share that with other people. May we live like Jesus and share his love. A Christian historian who um, has tracked all kinds of Christian revivals penned these words. J. Edwin Orr said, No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. We might have to wait a while for this revival to happen. I don't know what God's timing is, but I know it's way better than mine. May we be a church that is persistently praying for revival. We have life groups. They just started. Go sign up for a life group. Some of the life groups in the fall are continuing to move forward into this semester. It's beautiful. If you're in a D group, pray. But it's hard to be unified if you're by yourself. You have to be in community in order to have unity. Otherwise, you're just fine solo. You have to be in community because the power of united prayer can bring revival. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God can transform our community? Am I the only one? Do you believe that God can transform our community? Yeah. Say it with conviction. Don't just say it like, oh, that's the good thing to say. Believe it. Believe that we can come together and maybe it takes us out of our comfort zone a little bit, but let's be united in prayer and pray for revival for our church and for our community so that way people can experience Jesus, have an encounter with him, to find freedom in their own life, to figure out what their God-given purpose is so that way they can go and make a difference. 
That's why we're here, church. Pray for that passion. You, you may not be me and have to spit on the people in the front row, and that's okay. But you can still have passion. You can still be awakened to more. But the power of united prayer can bring revival. And that's what awakened the church. I can't wait to go on this journey with you, friends. God's going to do something crazy here. But it's up to us to actually go and do it. It's one thing to talk about prayer and, yeah, we need to be united in prayer. Yeah, cool. We actually have to go do it. And so this week, what we're going to do is have at eights. Some of you are familiar with this. So at eight in the morning on Facebook Live, for the next five mornings, we're going to get together and we're going to be united in prayer. And I get it, some of you are working, you can't be there, that's okay. But if you're able, join me tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And we're going to have multiple people share during our at eights. And we're just going to pray together. We're, we're going to actually live this out. It's one thing to talk about it, it's one thing to actually live it. You know, one of Jesus' half-brothers, James, he said, go be doers of the word. And so that's what we're going to try to do this week with the at eights is we're gonna pray together. Now, if you can't make it, or if you're not on social media or whatever, that's okay. Like, I respect that. But God's outside of times and boundaries and social media. You can still pray at eight. You, you, you can pray at any time, right? Like, we, we understand that. And so, if you can't join us at eight, please just join us in prayer. And we're, so we're gonna have a guided time of prayer at eight, and I'd love for you to join us.